The Boys of Tech with Edwin Herman and Brett King. Welcome to the very first episode of The Boys of Tech. Your hosts are Edwin Herman, that's me, and Brett King, who's currently playing World of Warcraft. Hi, Brett. Howdy. How's World of Warcraft? Um, worldy. <laughs> can, we, can we use the acronym WOW, and are you WOWing? Is that, is that what they say? Or That is correct. I am WOWing, <laughs> and I am currently doing the boring grinding bits. All right, well... In between doing the fun stuff. Ah, fair enough. I Look, I haven't touched World of Warcraft at all, but uh, hugely popular out there. Hey, uh, getting into the first story there, I see YouTube is possibly going to add a video download feature. Uh, there's a story there that says that apparently videos on Barack Obama's YouTube channel have a little link that say download video. And I, I think this is a fantastic idea, and I don't know why they haven't done it before. Because I tell you what, I have downloaded stuff from YouTube, and you're not supposed to be able to do that. But you know what? And it's, it's you know what? Safari makes it really easy. And <laughs> I know there are third-party things, but I use Safari. And one of the things in Safari, you can go to the activities window, and all it does is it shows you all the components on that page. One of which is, of course, the FLV file. All you do is mm-hmm. drag that to your desktop, and you're away. Yeah. Oh, I did not know that about Safari. So oh, it makes it easy. I mean, I, you can pretty much download on any browser, but usually you need an extra little bit that hooks in. And, Indeed. Yeah. So what do you reckon about downloading video? Well, why haven't they introduced this ages ago? Well, I I don't know. Maybe it's my memory playing tricks on me, but I do recall seeing download buttons on YouTube videos in the past. So is it something that they've trialed somewhere or is it just something that changed when... I don't know, but I do have a funny feeling that I've seen a download button on YouTube videos before, oh, you must, and not from a third party. You like, must you must spend more time on YouTube because I haven't actually uh, noticed that, but you may well be right. Um, apparently, the story says that w- the download feature is going to give you an MP4 version using the high-quality H.264 codec. Now, the downloading I do is basically just taking a copy of the FLV that you see in your browser. So it's that grainy flash version. So this, in theory, should give you a nice high-quality version of the video, which I think is fantastic. Interesting. Is it going to... Well, obviously, it's going to be based on whatever has been uploaded for it. If they're... Because I read further down in that story, it was talking about probably coming out on user content first. Um, how's that going to handle the different qualities and um, compressions on the different user content that's provided? Or is it going to do on-the-fly sort of transcoding of it? But you could never really increase the quality, could you? You're always limited to, to the quality of the original source, right? Exactly. I wonder. So it must be based on, on, on what it's doing. But it must, for others, if it's um, actual content provider content, 
perhaps they are supplying a high quality version which is coded into the YouTube um, FLV at a lower quality, but with the download feature has access to the actual high quality content. Oh, I see. As well. They must have a huge amount of storage. Well, that's pretty cheap these days. <laughs> Look at what Google has. <laughs> well, actually, that, yeah, well, that's true. It's probably dropping the bucket. Well, actually, it is Google now, isn't it, really? Indeed. <laughs> it's one and the same, really. Replace the Google video, which was turned out to be a flop, which was interesting, but... Um, Indeed. Uh, oh, that's history. Fancy that. Google, mm. something, Google doing something that didn't turn out wonderful. For yeah. Everybody. Although, having <laughs> said that, someone did mention to me the other day that there's there are quite a few ideas in their labs that hang around for a bit and sometimes they'll disappear because, well, no one knows why, but presumably because they felt that they, it just wouldn't work or, or can't work or wasn't such a good idea after all. So I guess it's um, a case of trying as much as they can and I guess some will succeed. Indeed. Indeed. Hey, finally, um, a judge finally gets it right. 17,000 illegal downloads of a track does not equal 17,000 lost sales. Finally, they realise. Indeed. (laughs) For our listeners Uh, out there who haven't seen the story, um, Daniel Dove was originally found guilty of uh, copyright infringement. He basically ran a torrent group called the Elite Torrents um, in 2004, 2005. Now, the RIAA said that 183 albums were transferred through his server, uh, a total of 17,281 times. So what they did is they basically multiplied that by the wholesale price of the album in 2005, which happened to be $7.22, I presume that's US, and they, uh, what, what the calculator came out was with $124,769. So they figured, well, that's what we've lost out on. But that's not true. Not true at all. More people download things to just try it than they would if they had to pay for it to begin with. Yeah, and <laughs> and not only that, um, people who download certain tracks aren't necessarily going to buy them if they couldn't. If they weren't able to download that, they wouldn't necessarily go out and buy it. So it's not like they've actually lost out on a sale that they otherwise would have got. Oh, exactly. It's it's opening to them to far more public, you know, um, What's the word? Scrutiny. Out of this. Publicity. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. For different artists and music than it is for decreasing the sales that they would otherwise not have gotten anyway. So, yeah. In, and in fact, actually, the, I was, there's another story about that, that a Dutch government study actually reckons that the, uh, the net effect of P2P is actually positive. Indeed. Uh, <laughs> finally, somebody's realized that. Is that always the case, though, or is that just the few, the minority that gets splattered over the news stories, but in reality it's damaging? I, mm, it's difficult to say. You are, by releasing things, as, as certain other artists have done, where they've released their album or they've released their songs for free or for pay what you think you should pay. Um, I can't remember what artist did that. Somebody famous, probably Moby. Um, but yeah, you will find far more people will have a listen to your song or have a listen to an MP3 or give a movie or a TV show a shot if they can check it out for free than they would if they had to pay for it each and every time. So if you hook them then, surely you're going to start bringing in that 
money. Because there will always be people, you know, the leeches who just get stuff for free because they think they should. Yeah, they're going to do it anyway, aren't they? That, that, they're exactly. always going to do that. But there will always be people out there who like to have a taste, who like to see, well, I've heard about that song. Is it any good? Having a listening, uh, listen to it and then going, wow, that song's pretty cool. Maybe I'll have a listen to some of their other songs. And then a lot of people would be then going, well, I'll get it on iTunes or I'll go buy the CD or I've, I liked that movie. I'll buy the DVD with the special features. Um, so I th it's more like advertising. But couldn't you argue that uh, isn't that what iTunes and Amazon are for? You can listen to a 30-second clip and so you don't need P2P. You, you've got those clips there available for, to listen to for free. Oh, a 30-second clip does not give you a full-on taste of a song. You have to listen to the whole thing. Yeah, actually, I tend to agree with you, actually. I, you know, Because I <laughs> <laughs> they give you the 30-second, which is the, the, you know, the, the, the hook part of the song, the chorus, which is catchy, and they don't give you the rest of the two, two and a half minutes, which is boring as anything. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Actually, that happened to me once. I, I bought a, 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 a track off iTunes on the back of the 30-second clip, <laughs> and guess what happens for the because what iTunes does is it will play from 30 seconds to one minute like the 30 yep. second mark to the one minute mark is, is what gets played in the clip Yep. and what happens in the first 29 seconds is, <laughs> is basically it was a live um, sort of thing and it was just idle chat and the, tr and the track was very very short it was, it was, a ba <laughs> it was basically a waste I, it was misrepresented if you know, if we if if there were consumer guarantees laws that applied, you know, that was false advertising as far as far as I was concerned. But <laughs> well, if you actually paid money, should, surely there are consumer guarantees about it. Well, actually, yeah, that's that's true. Um, I yeah, oh, I guess it, that doesn't. But that doesn't work for if you buy a CD, does it? you buy a CD and you turn out that, well, the one song you liked on it was cool, you're not going to get your, what, 30-odd dollars back. No, if they, if, well, if they did, no one would be buying CDs because they're all like that as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Indeed. I don't think I own one CD that I like more than two or three songs on at the very most. <laughs> hey, just going back to this uh, story, though, about the, uh, the you know, 17,000 downloads does not equal 17,000, you know, lost sales. The, well, that's a judge getting a clue, fine. Finally, um, it's 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 good to see. The bit though I don't get is that they they actually said so. Therefore, we want a hundred and whatever it was twenty five thousand uh, dollars compensation. Or I tell you what, if if you agree to be part of our public service announcement, <laughs> we'll take it down to forty seven thousand. <laughs> oh dear. Is, does that mean they're up for negotiation now? We can say, oh, look, I'll, how about, how about uh, you know, 20000 I'll do it for that, you know? Yeah, indeed, indeed. Yeah, well, it's, it's all who you know, I'm sure. Well, actually, the, the, the Isle of Man have a really good idea. What they want to do is, uh, the Isle of Man is, of course, the, the semi-independent tax haven in the, somewhere near Britain. <laughs> is, is that right? Somewhere near Britain? <laughs> you mean that little speck of an island between Ireland and the United Kingdom? <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere there. 
you if you miss it if you blink you miss it um yeah look they what they want to do is consider a, a a blanket tax which effectively legalizes p2p so hey everyone pays into this and well we you can't get done for p2p yeah it's a it's a pretty good idea should um, should we be doing that well i think it's a good idea depending on how much of a fee it is it's got to be you know equitable um, but it's by far the best idea I've heard so far on how to please the most people for the most time. So what do you do for the poor guy who who says, well, look, I don't even use the internet, and even when I do, on the few times that I do, I don't do P2P, so why should I be paying into, why should I be subsidizing other people? Well, it's the same reason that you pay taxes and you pay rates and they go to upkeep roads, and if you don't drive or use a road for any reason you're still paying for it well actually that's true yeah i, I guess uh, i guess maybe that's where you fit on the political spectrum it is it is an innovative way i don't know if they've actually implemented this i think um but they they're certainly considering it of course the uh, the the irony to this whole thing <laughs> is, yeah, there's is no that, tax there yeah exactly yeah, <laughs> there's very little tax on things Exactly, and here here they are wanting to introduce this blanket tax, which is kind of goes against what what they what they were all about. But hey, if it works, I think that's a great idea. Oh, indeed, indeed. I, it's not going to work for everybody, as you said. There's there'll always be the the man on the street who doesn't download or who doesn't have the internet, um, and there will always be complaints from the music industry, um, from the the big name record companies who want to be able to charge their amount instead of having a nice blanket tax which will be usually you know rated at the lower end of the spectrum of tax <laughs> whereas if you got the um, the um, RIAA involved or the the movie industry involved it would be at the more the higher end oh absolutely they they actually wanted to raise the price of uh, online downloads from the benchmark that iTunes originally set and others have adopted at 99 US cents to more than a dollar something. I can't remember what it was. It's like, finally, there's a model that works and perhaps we can curb or at least reduce online piracy. And now what do they want to do? They want to scuttle the whole thing by increasing the price? I mean, Indeed, what, what is they it? They want to bleed people. I just can't believe how short-sighted it is. It's like, guys, you've finally got something that works. Stick with it, you know? Yeah. Well, look at what they've done to the, the whole CDs. Um, online downloads, all that sort of thing is great, but people still like to have physical copies of things. And before we had all this whole um, online purchasing and downloading, they'd just hike up the cost of the CD. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Does it really cost $25? <laughs> How much of that actually goes to the artists? Uh, well, How yeah. much did it cost to stamp that CD? How much did the marketing costs? You know, I'd love to see a breakdown actually because I don't know that anyone's managed to, or at least it hasn't really been clearly uh, summarized and, and published out there exactly what the breakdown is on a $25 or $30 CD. It, it, I have no idea where it goes. I have a feeling I know where it goes. <laughs> but, oh, indeed, indeed. Well, what did that, um, <laughs> what did they say that the, Wholesale cost of a digital album in 2005 was $7.22 oh, US. Well, actually, that's a point. Yeah. 
So, yeah, what do they sell them for? 722 is a digital album. So how much for a, a stamped CD on top of that? Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Another 22 cents? <laughs> do you know what? Actually, I'm surprised that what we don't have yet, uh, or maybe we do. Um, tell me if you know about any of these. I half expected by now, by 2008, 2009, to see the physical bricks and mortar music stores selling uh, music on either on memory sticks or you go in there with some media and, and you download you download a track and pay for it there. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's an interesting idea. I've not seen or heard of any place that does that. I'm sure they would cite um, copyright concerns, you know, the ease of duplication of providing that sort of media. Well, and, uh, I... They're doing that through... Um, iTunes and through the Vodafone Music Store in New Zealand and, and so yeah that's that's interesting why they haven't merged the two yeah I mean there an are iTunes be- kiosk in the music store where you can get it from there because what a brick bricks and uh, a brick and mortar store will get that online will never get is the the foot traffic right outside you know online you have to actually be mm. going somewhere well unless you're clicking on an ad that happens to be on some other page you're looking at, you know, yeah. you either have to load up iTunes or go to Amazon.com or, you know, whereas, you know, if you're on the main street in, in, in town and you're walking past a music store and you hear something you like or you see an album that you've sort of been wondering about and you sort of, you just go in there. That's the foot traffic that, that they could, that online hmm. stores just don't get. So, but on the other hand, they're sticking to this old model. So why not merge the two and either have something like you walk in, you buy an entire album on a very tiny little memory stick that, that you take away with you and keep and and that's yep. you put it through your computer or wherever you like. Or you bring in your own media and you effectively just like, you could just set up a few <laughs> a few computers connected to iTunes and away you go. But a little bit, well, a little bit more, more framework than that. But that sort of concept. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, the price for buying it in a bricks and mortar place would probably be increased to offset costs to the bricks and mortar place. Well, actually, that's true. Providing you that <laughs> with that service. Well, unless and- it was the the industry itself, which didn't, which no longer, or you know, maybe it produced CDs, but it also produced memory sticks fully loaded, or um, something like that. Because well, there was. Similar things and similar ideas to that was, for instance, the the U2 iPod, where you bought an iPod and it came fully loaded with the latest U2 album. Oh, did it come with the the the, the tracks? Yeah, came with the album, oh, the did, full album did, on I did, it already. Didn't realize that. Yeah, and um, Vodafone did a similar thing with one of the Sony Ericsson Walkman telephones. Was you bought it and um, at a slightly higher price, um, wasn't very much more expensive, and the you got the internal memory with, what was it, 250-odd New Zealand songs, songs from New Zealand artists. Oh, is that right? So, yeah, yeah. That's a, a pretty good deal. Th- yeah, that's a, that's I had a great already idea. bought a phone recently that week, I would have gone for that deal. Oh, hey, <laughs> always the way. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. But something similar to that was... Um, Ages ago, actually, I heard about it. I can't remember what band, but there was a band that did tours. And you know how you can buy merchandise um, when you go to any concert? Yeah. There's always the, 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 the truck or the stall set up to sell the band's merchandise. Yeah. Well, they had it set up that you could also buy 
a memory stick with a live recording of the concert that you'd just seen. That's a fantastic, that's brilliant. So of that exact concert? Of that exact concert. That's fantastic. Who came up with that? Where was where was that done? I don't know. This was years ago. Is that right? That was that's not a new not a new idea. This was well, it's a fantastic bomb. idea. I cannot remember what band it was though. Do you know what? I probably would. I mean, I can't remember the last concert I went to. It may have been. I, uh, <laughs> oh, actually, no. It was Elton John actually. Um, well, no. Having said that, I probably wouldn't buy the Elton John one. <laughs> I might have bought. Well, the, yeah, you have to have enjoyed. <laughs> Yeah. Well, no, <laughs> no, don't get me wrong. I didn't. I did enjoy Elton John, but um, being a pianist sitting there, I, 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 he was less of an entertainer than say. Um, I went. I saw John Farnham. I saw the Doobie Brothers. Those were the, really the only other two I saw. You can see how often I get out. Um, no, but the, look, those. I tell you what, John Farnham, I reckon is the is the best entertainer, constant entertainer, um, that I've ever seen. And oh yeah, yeah. he's he's. Um He's a been, funny guy. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, often been referred to as the one of the greatest um, Australian um, concerts experiences. Oh, it was. I tell you what, I I, I definitely agree with that. He he's got in the last few years he's gotten to this thing where he throws or twirls the microphone stand up high, like really high. He throws it up like you know, I don't know, six seven meters up in the air and catches it again. That's his latest thing. I don't know why he insists on doing that, but it looks quite cool. It sounds it sounds really corny. Maybe it's part of his calisthenics. <laughs> it sounds really corny, but it actually it's really good. He's a fantastic entertainer, and in those situations, I you know if if that was available, I would have actually bought that. Um, mm. On the on the other hand, Elton John. Not that I didn't like Elton John. I think he's he's very talented, but it, it wasn't the there was a less of the entertainment value. Great music. But less of an entertainer, so I, I guess in that situation, I probably wouldn't have buy, bought it. But I think that's a great idea: buying the very concert you went to at the at the venue. Yeah. At the yeah. at the, on at on the day that after after the fact, that's fantastic. Yeah, I think it's a great idea. More more should do it. So what's happening at Microsoft? Um, they've just patched more Windows bugs, which is well, not I mean, not that surprising. But this one is with well, SMB. Well, <laughs> yeah, business <laughs> as usual. But what's happening? Because I, I had a feeling that I don't know, I don't have any stats, but I had a feeling that Microsoft were getting pretty good, and that maybe everything out there was discovered, and maybe we'd see a huge reduction in the number of bugs and things out there and security flaws. But when the, when I saw this story about this is a these, these are three different vulnerabilities. And SMB, which is a you know, file sharing protocol native to Windows, is that a bit of a worry? Are the wheels uh, are the wheels falling off Microsoft again, or, or or is this just a little blip? It's well, I really I think it's the status quo nowadays. When you've got a um, a developer and publisher uh, mandate of stick as many features as possible, will fix the bugs in beta and will release something which needs some patches afterwards, that you're always going to end up with situations like this, especially when they're getting as complex and as, you know, packed in as you could possibly be. Well, you, you know, Apple is probably one of the most guilty parties in that. The, I, th- I think before OS ten, they were very careful in what they released and they were very careful to make sure they had a rigorous testing regime and that when it was out, it was 
very good. And I'm not just talking about security and viruses. I'm just talking also about general bugs and general stability. They were very good at that. But now it seems they've just joined the rest of them and they want to rush to get things out. And it's like, oh, look at this new feature. Um, okay, it might not work very well, but hey, uh, we'll fix it in time. It's, it's, it's the feature-driven approach. It is the, well, we want to sell our product, so we've got to stick as many whiz-bang, flashy things into it that it could possibly do. And if some of them don't work absolutely 100% of the time, our users will tell us after we've put it out there and we'll fix it. And I, we'll I've, fix the I've, most I've, important things first, which is why you get all those, you get the bugs, you get the glitch, which nobody picked up the first time around or everybody thought, ah, it's just one of those hiccups. They've actually had uh, another worm as well, a, a very bad worm, Conficker worm. Yeah, yeah, I saw the, um, the the screenshot of that. And as soon as I saw the screenshot, I was like, well, that is a worm which is taking full advantage of the social side of a virus. Absolutely. And the social side of infection. Because it's quite obvious to anybody with an ounce of IT know-how that the first option is trying to install something and the second option under the other options is the actual open folder. Oh, look, you, you, you know what? I have to confess here. I think I would have fallen for that. <laughs> You're one of the people who it pops up, it looks right, you click it within a second. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, I'm the, I'm the sort of person that if there's, only, if there's an error message and only one button, I'll hit it. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and how many windows does your internet browser open on a daily basis? <laughs> oh, is that the problem? Ah, now, yeah, maybe it's, um, maybe I need some antivirus. <laughs> no, look, I I think this is. Um, I mean, I think they're getting people... really, really smart. Yeah, <laughs> at yeah. doing their things. The the virus developers are they've. Well, they've always relied on some aspect of the person being involved with it. But the, the new ones, the new sneaky ways they're trying to get, catch that unaware user or that um, not quite as adept user, um, they're getting quite sneaky in the ways they do it. I always find it interesting to look at um, when the new viruses come up to see what is it that it does differently than the other ones that makes that's made it you know infect how many million PCs has been infected by this current one um. uh, <laughs> millions <laughs> but you know it gets to the point where you, where you really almost can't really blame users as well as much as you could in the past I mean in the past it, it was don't open an attachment that you haven't expected you know and people still would but now it's getting to the point where i mean you could if you're you know if you're in a hurry and you're trying to do something and you click that first option that that, that says uh, for the you know the the, the conflict of virus that says you know open open the folder and browse the contents which what it really is doing is installing it you yep. can almost forgive people for that. Or maybe I'm just saying that because I know that, I, that I'd fall for it. I don't know. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know that you do that. Yeah, but, well, that's when you get to the point of going, well, the user's always, or the user is almost always going to fall for whatever comes up. So you've got to build something else which protects it. And there's only so many ways you can do that without, you know, coming up with the, the same thing of, well, we've got all of 
you've got virus protection. You've got all of these um, options enabled to not do these things. Um, at some point, the user themselves is going to have to take the responsibility mm. of the fact that they clicked. Yeah, I think you might be right. They yep. should have read before they clicked. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think you're onto something there. <laughs> you know, it's, if, yeah, you get you you'll always get users who go, "Oh, the the virus protection didn't work," or "Oh, this silly computer, I've got all of these things that my Internet Explorer is all." It's not my fault. All these things, it's not my fault. And when it really comes down to it, there will always be the point where, yes, they did click on that thing. Yes, they did follow that link to the try this new. <laughs> what was the old example? The bonsai buddy sort of thing. <laughs> it's like you had to initiate it at some point. Yeah, I think users do need to take some responsibility, I guess. You know, yeah, though, especially it, ones like this. This is a you would not have been infected if you had actually paid attention to what you were clicking on. But. Yeah, because above it, for I mean, it's kind of hard to do this on an audio podcast, but just describing this virus, uh, you get the standard window that, that you get in Windows when you insert a USB device, and it, uh, there are several options there. Do you want to browse? Do you want to open these with this or that? But uh, the option that, that you, you would click on to initiate it actually says open folder to view files, but above it, it's in a section called install or run program. So there's and directly clue. below it, under the general options, is another button which says "Open folder to view." And files. that's the real one. So, and that's the real one. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's one of those ones which it does fall on the user to be wary of what they're clicking on. But as you mentioned before, it's just because we are we we drill into people and we're drilled into that. Beware of what we click on when we're on the computer. Beware of what we click on. People don't beware of what they're clicking on <laughs> it makes you it makes you think just how much better this place would be if all these smart guys who who spend all this time writing these viruses actually put their skills to to positive use oh you never know you might find that some of them do well, well actually that's true <laughs> some of them might be working on wonderful things out there for a real living and uh, <laughs> to support their wow habits, they might be writing bad stuff. <laughs> You're not suggesting something there, are you, Brett? <laughs> oh, no, no, definitely not. What's that other window you've got open on the side there? <laughs> <laughs> well, currently it's a BBC News article on Windows worm trickery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> oh, well, actually, you were going to open the, the conspiracy can of worms and say, well, is Microsoft doing some of these to... Uh, to, to give people a reason to move to the next version because they're going to say, hey, it's more secure. Well, indeed, indeed. I was reading just this afternoon about the um, new beta for Windows 7 that everybody seems to be raving about who's actually gotten their hands on it. Um, and it does look really nice, must say. Yeah, but it's happening so quickly. Vista's only just been out. <laughs> I know, I know. I think that is clearly an admission that hey, we made a mistake. Vista was not the right product. It was basically the Windows ME of of this decade, uh, and we'll move on and forget it. Let's just pretend it was never really existed. But um, look, Indeed. you've you've seen it. Uh, is it isn't there? Um, well, oh, it was in the article. I will point it out to you when I next see you. Um, 
but there is a period of um, either free or discounted upgrade for vid- for Vista users to Windows Seven. Is, is that right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we don't want anyone on Vista anymore. Please, <laughs> <laughs> please switch. Yeah. Well, it's there were a lot of good things I think that they did bring in with Vista. A lot of neat features. Um, some well, of the enhancements. Sell it to me, Brett. To huh? Sell it to me because yeah. I'm not convinced. <laughs> uh, <laughs> some of the oh, just little things. Like lots of people complain about um, what is it? Arrow, the um, interface. Oh yeah, yeah. The transparencies and how it's a memory hog and all that sort of thing. Well, they've enhanced that interface in Windows 7, but um, Windows 7 consumes less CPU and less memory than Vista does. Oh, okay. It's got far more enhanced features for transparencies and file flipping. And I only recently, for instance, in Vista, discovered a new thing, which I hadn't discovered before. Um, When I was alt-tabbing, and you know when you alt-tab, it brings up that little window in the middle of your screen uh-huh. showing you the icon for yeah. all the different windows you've got open. Yeah. Well, I'd missed, I'd missed hitting the button when I was using my thumb and finger to hit Alt-Tab, and I instead hit Shift-Tab. And if you've got Arrow turned on, on your Vista install, and you hit Shift-Tab, it brings up all of the windows you've got in this three-dimensional sort of stack in the center of your screen. So instead of seeing a little box with icons of each of your windows, you are seeing your windows three-dimensionally stacked up against all of the other windows, and you can cycle through it by start and you tabbing. And oh, I see. It's really cool. I thought it was really neat. Is it kind of like... And cover- I, I am a sucker for flashy things. So is it kind of like CoverFlow in iTunes, where you're flipping through albums? Not, or not quite the Indeed. same. It, it, like that? Yeah, exactly like that, except with transparency and all pretty. Nice, very nice. <laughs> but yes, that exact same sort of thing. I tell you what, I'd love them to each bring in of those windows, and each of the windows is active. So, for instance, if you've got a window which has moving or active content on it, then you see it live, right? Yeah, you see it live, and I liked that. That's great. That That's neat. That is and really good. Add that to one of my new, <laughs> one of my new start buttons. Features. Well, I'll tell you what, I'd really like them to bring in, and maybe you can test this for, for me because I haven't got Vista. I've got uh, XP on my Mac and obviously OS 10, but I haven't got Vista. Maybe you can test test this for me. On the Mac, when you do an alt tab, which is not really an alt tab, it's a command tab, it does the same thing. It brings up yeah, applications. You can actually click on them, so you don't have to go tab, 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 tab. You can just click with the mouse on one of the icons, and it brings that to the foreground. That can, is correct. Can you do that on Oh, you can do that in Vista now. Yep. Hold down Alt, press Tab once. It brings up the the box with the little um, windows, the little icons of the windows. Yeah, or yeah. in Vista, it brings up a box with a little picture of each of the windows you've got open, or the applications you've got running. And you can just use the mouse to click on that while still holding the Alt key down. So now I see why people are really are saying this. This there's this, I guess, convergence of OS ten and Vista. They're really not much different now. They are. Microsoft has seen OS ten. It has seen the dock. It has seen all of the flashy graphic stuff that you get with OS ten, and has always been synonymous with Macs. And 
they've pilfered a lot of it and put it into a stuff. <laughs> well, they've always done that, haven't they? <laughs> but hey, well, no, I guess that's a good thing. I mean, we're getting. Good, I guess you're getting good features coming through, and mm, mm. and I guess and the all product's of that evolving. Gets translated across to Windows Seven, and Windows Seven is is based on a Vista core. So they've kept the core of Vista. They've just taken all of the user feedback that's come back from Vista and have actually made what Vista should have been. So this really is, is Windows 7 is really what Vista should have been all along. That, that should have been what they released, right? Back yep, when they released yep. Vista. Indeed. So, yeah, I would class Vista as an early, early alpha release of Windows 7. That's so diplomatic of you. <laughs> well, you know, I'm a Microsoft basher from way back, but I can't fault them for actually producing something which <laughs> looks like it could be a pretty good product. Yeah, credit where credit's due, eh? Indeed, indeed. Though, of course, it will need um, Windows updates weekly. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> and about another seven service packs down the track. Indeed, indeed. It will always be that way as long as the um, philosophy of features um, beats the philosophy of stability. And you know, and, uh, you, you know, what? I think it's not just the number of features that that they're, they're really being driven by. I think it's also the the rush to to get them out. So it's not like oh, yeah. we've got five hundred features. Yeah, there's a bit of that, but I think it's also. Hey, we've got this feature today. Where else can you get this? The computer doesn't have it. We've got it today. Exactly. Well, what they don't tell you, of course, it doesn't work very well. But hey, that's that's the that's okay. the consequence of trying to release these things far too early. Yep, it's the it's also one of the the if if you play games, for instance, that's a a, a, a one of the oh, what do you call it? Drivers. Prime examples of this mentality. It is the well, we've promised we will publish it by Christmas so that we can get the Christmas rush, so we can sell it, but it's not quite finished. So, so let's they're, they're really publish it as much as we can, release it, and we'll put a patch out after Christmas. When we oh, come that's very sloppy, <laughs> very slack. With the, the, the internet as pervasive and everywhere as it is now, which is absolutely wonderful, it does lead to the mentality of we can always get you a fix tomorrow. Mm. You know, earlier on in this uh, episode of this podcast, I did mention that I think Apple are just as guilty now. You know, you, I do software updates now and it's like, you've got 229 megabytes of stuff to download and install. it's like, what? Where do you guys get this stuff from? You know, I mean, what's, what's wrong with Quick? I mean, QuickTime goes through changes more than I do underwear, you know? I mean, it's... <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. It's crazy. In fact, there's just looking at my software update now. I'm just doing one now live. I bet you something's going to come through. And I think, yeah, there we go. Quick time. You see, again, I mean, where, yep. why does this, you know, seven point six? I did one just before and I only had one. <laughs> only yeah, one thing I, for my Vista machine to update. <laughs> yeah, I, I think uh, Apple are, all, are getting worse in that, in that space. But hey, uh, I guess that's just the, the way that it goes when things get pretty competitive out there. Yep, when things get competitive and with the ease of distributing these things now. Yeah, there's, is, there's less... There's less basically, nowadays, if you don't have the internet, then you're not going to have the current fixed version of whatever it is that you're using. <laughs> well, you don't want all... You don't necessarily want all fixes, especially if you're a Seagate a hard drive owner. 
<laughs> That's a great story. <laughs> what actually happened was Seagate released a fix for a bug in their current generation of hard drives. Hey, that's a good thing, you'd think. But actually what happens is it causes them to be uh, undetectable. In other words, you've bricked your, your, your entire computer, really, because if that's what your main <laughs> boot drive is, that's your computer gone. It renders the drive pretty much useless. Indeed. So that does we... make you wonder, what does Seagate's QA department look like? Maybe they, maybe they use Western <laughs> How Digital. How that get out? <laughs> I, I think their test, their test labs use Western Digital drives or something. You must do. <laughs> I mean, how that can they... Probably, uh, we've, got, <laughs> we've got a broken... <laughs> we have a hard drive here. It's got this bug on it. Let's see if this thing fixes it. Oh, look, it does. <laughs> Release it. And then they discover, oh, wait, no, the hard drive that we fixed was a perfectly working hard drive. <laughs> That's very embarrassing. Look, you know, this would be a lot worse if it was uh, Microsoft or, or Apple. I think it would get a lot more exposure. This, 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 this story was a little, yeah. a little bit under the radar. This is, a big, uh, this is a big issue. This thing could – imagine the amount of data you might have put onto this um, drive, which obviously had a bug for whatever reason. Um, but then suddenly – you lose everything that's on it. That's a, this is a huge issue. And it Seagate, is. Seagate have apparently uh, pulled the, the firmware update. And uh, if you now go to the website, it says that the next version is in validation stage. That's what they should have done the first time around. <laughs> Indeed. The first one should have gone through that stage, maybe um, a little longer than it did. <laughs> oh, I'm not really sure what users can do. Can, can they fix their drives or is, is that it? I'm not sure. I... I'm sure Seagate will release something um, saying how to unbrick it. But what if it's your boot drive and would you have to... If it's not possible to fix it, it's probably an RMA. It's going to have to go back to where it's... <laughs> but it, if, if, they, if they can release a fix for it and they do, it's only going to be useful if you can boot up your computer in the first place. If, yep. if that's your boot drive, you're going to have to... Um, you'd have to be more than the average user because you're going to have to install a, at least a temporary OS on oh, some other drive, boot up from indeed. that, download and install the patch, and then go remove that drive, temporary drive and go back into your your, yep. your unbricked um, uh, Seagate one. But then how many regular users would have downloaded and installed a Seagate hard drive fix? Unless well, it's part of Windows yeah, actually, that's a no. Well, that, no, that's a fair point. Actually, I guess the people who are doing these installs, voluntary installs too, I take it, uh, they're not pushed down; they're, they're pulled down at, at, at will. Yeah. Would be uh, more than the average user. So I guess they can yep. get themselves out of that situation. So maybe it's not as bad as as we think, but it's as every bit as embarrassing as we think. Oh, definitely, it is. That's a big kick in the guts to Seagate's reputation. Well, I'll tell you one thing that's that's really good they've done. They've uh, made, well, I guess they had no choice, really. They've offered at least US customers uh, free data recovery um, if if the firmware bug uh, results in data loss. So that that's at least a softening the blow somewhat. But, uh, oh, indeed, indeed. That, that's going a good way to um, restoring that faith um, in Seagate's products. Because would, would you say they're still the top brand or...? What what's considered I, the? I would say yes. I would say yes. I know Western Digital took a big hit um, a number of years ago when they released um, quite a lot of substandard drives <laughs> that didn't last very long. 
Um, but they've picked up really well, and they've 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 fought back, and they've got their goodwill back. They've got a good name now. But you think do you think Seagate, Seagate still holds? It's, it's it's a very competitive market. Um, the hard drives, um, but it is as you said before. It's one of those very not very often reported markets. It's not one of the markets the general public thinks about very much at all. They don't think about the hard disk in their computer. No, it's just a computer. computer. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's just the computer or it's, a, it's the, an HP computer or an, a Dell. And the little button on the monitor is how you turn your computer on. <laughs> exactly, exactly. The computer is the thing you look at and the big box next to it which has the blinking light and runs is the hard drive. <laughs> That's right. Or the CPU. <laughs> yeah, it's all the CPU. <laughs> uh, now, half of Aussies use mobile phones on the toilet. What? I am disgusted. <laughs> and more so disgusted, <laughs> apparently, with the Chinese who, <laughs> who have 66% who use oh, the- <laughs> do so. So the Australians I, aren't as bad as the Chinese. <laughs> what is it with using the phone? Hey, look, confession time here, Brett. Have you actually used your mobile phone on the loo? No. No. Oh. Hell no. It's unsanitary. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I tell you what, I will confess to. I've used the phone walking into the men's, but uh, before I got about doing my business, it went straight into the pocket and... Mm-hmm. T- turned off as well. You don't want to have yeah. a mobile phone ringing while I've you're done in the that. I, I've been on the phone as I've gone towards the bathroom, but <laughs> it will always be hung up and safely away somewhere before any of the in-bathroom activities are commenced, <laughs> as we should say. <laughs> it's. I am surprised at the number of people who... Uh, yeah, <laughs> well, the, the survey Doing things which I would consider to be gross. <laughs> well, the survey went on to say that on the occasions uh, of sorry of the occasions surveyed, eighty percent of people said they would use their phone while eating a meal with others, and sixty-two percent said they'd uh, use their phone while driving, which is I think terrible. Uh, and, that is completely terrible. And then forty-eight percent would do so while trying to sleep. I'm not quite sure how you use your phone while I, you're trying to sleep, but. I think that might be 48% who didn't really understand what the survey was about. (laughs) (laughs) I think you might be right. I think you're right. (laughs) Oh, dear. But yes, I've I've seen people sitting at tables with other people while they're on the phone. (laughs) It's just another sign of the decreasing... um, politeness (laughs) well it's got to the point where it's almost accepted now and you just do it because you know more and more people do and i think it's going to become one of those things where uh, well a bit like the old-fashioned manners where you know kids these days don't refer to adults as mr so-and-so it's always by first name which i look i don't Mm -hmm. mind i think it's quite nice but um i I think it's just part of that there are some manners which there are some manners which were there purely for distinctions of class or distinctions of respect for your elders. That yeah, sort of. that, that's true. I mean, look, I don't... Um, but there are others which are there for common courtesy and, you know, 
know. Yeah, but I think also polite people around you. Well, the the whole <laughs> the whole Mister thing and Mister and Mrs thing, I think also was protocol, and I think that's the key thing here. It's it's. I guess we're kind of um, losing some of our protocol and becoming a lot more relaxed on on how how we conduct ourselves. I guess. Mm-hmm. I've never tried and using my I phone. Guess it also depends on the if the person was on their f- on the phone while you were having dinner with them. Was it because they needed to answer the phone because of who it was and they're only on it for a short amount of time, or is it? Yeah, would that be more acceptable than say sitting down? with a group of people and having dinner and then one of them just get makes a call and then starts having a conversation with somebody for an hour. Yeah, look, I you know, I guess it depends on it depends on the setting, but I would sort of expect the person taking the call to say, "Oh, look, you know, after at least maybe I don't know, half a minute or so, look, I'll I'll phone you back. Um what's your number or yeah, you know, when yeah. can I call you back?" That's you know? what I'd expect as well, mm. but I've seen people who've just yeah, stayed on the phone while having dinner with other people. Well, what, what I can quite happily tell you is I've never tried to use my phone while trying to sleep, but what I have done is try to sleep while using my phone. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do that a lot. Hey, uh, New Zealand uh, telecommunication companies want to delay the very controversial Section 92A of the copyright law on net piracy. So, it's about time somebody decided that they should delay that thing. Well, uh, let's just cover this very briefly. The Section 92A of the Copyright Act, which comes into force, uh, I think, sometime early, at least in this quarter of this year, says that if you've been alleged to have downloaded copyright material on several occasions and complaints have been made to your ISP without requiring the burden of proof, your ISP is not just able to but is in fact required to cut you off so there's no burden of proof required whatsoever so I could actually phone I mean who are you with Brett you with Tel, uh, Telstra Telstra Clear yep I could phone Telstra Clear and say hey uh, you know this this Brett King character oh, he's, ah he's, no he's, no no only a complaint by a copyright holder yeah but I can can I why what's stopping me from saying I've recorded well I, this podcast maybe <laughs> um well no you own this as well but look i, I could make up a lie and say look i i'm my, you, I, I sing if you, I if you sing. made up something about being a content provider a, oh no, a copyright holder then yes indeed you could contact them and say oi he's got my he's, he's been downloading my stuff and then that would and see you cut off twice because right? <laughs> it has to be more than once but if you if you did it a couple of times over the course of a week, then yeah, it's, it's quite possible under the the current wordings to to have that happen. But then it's it's on the the telcos um, to come up with how they're going to implement it, and that's why they're wanting to delay the law. I, I thought they, they were forced to to cut you off. Or was that not I'm, true? Is, they are forced to cut you off. But there must be more than once. You can't be, you can't be a, you know, um, a can't, complaint can't be laid once against you. It has to be more than once that you've done something or alleged to have done something. Uh, it just seems to me that this this whole section ninety two A was, I guess, somewhat poorly thought out. It's it it, it leaves the oh, you know when they 
<laughs> when the, the government department in charge of coming up with it only consults with the recording industry <laughs> um, yeah, and not with anybody else uh, about the creation of it, then of course this is the sort of um, draconian, badly worded, impossible to implement solution that would be thought up. <laughs> I just, you know, it's funny because years ago you'd never have thought that this kind of law would be would come into effect and I guess some of this, maybe this is just a, something we're going to accept that over the years more and more rights will be eroded and there'll be less and less burden of proof because there are more and more laws these days that are almost like you know guilty until proven innocent and that's exactly what this one is except this one is guilty and that's it so far <laughs> you're guilty you're punished There is no, um, you know, innocent until proven guilty. You are declared guilty and punished. I, I do think it needs to be delayed. And I tell you what also just is, is as unbelievable as the law itself is that APRA, who represent performing artists, songwriters in other words, they mm -hmm. say that, oh, the people who are criticising this Section 92A uh, well, the criticism of Section 92A is, and here I quote, a continued attack on our songwriters whose ability to make a living from their music has already been compromised by widespread illegal file sharing on the internet by those who believe that everything should be free and that the internet companies that profit from it. <laughs> I mean, what planet yes. are these guys on? And <laughs> some of the people criticizing Section 92A are members, <laughs> songwriters who are members of the APRA. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. In, in fact, uh, I think it, it came out that uh, you know there are some members of Rians and APRA who who say, uh, "Who are you to, to, to you know to, to call shots? Because you haven't talked, you haven't consulted with your members. You know, yeah. we're not happy with this." Uh, so talking with anybody except the board members <laughs> and the people whose purse strings are being affected by anything. So what's going to happen if the six, section ninety two A comes into force as it is? I mean, is this are people really going to abuse it's, it, or is it? Uh, well, at the moment, uh, nothing's going to happen because the, the it's it puts the onus on the the ISPs to to do, do what? the cutting off. And to do to take the complaints, and right now they don't have the they don't have any guidelines or um, process for how they're going to handle that. So there's no framework and, for them to yeah, work. Yeah, there's no framework around how it's going to be implemented that the ISPs should be big brothering this and looking after it because they're not going to be dredging through internet traffic going <clears throat> and actively seeking it. They're not going to do that. It's going to be far too costly. It will be based on this allegations. But then the telcos are somewhat afraid of the repercussions of this, of the no proof being required, them cutting people off, and then people coming to them and taking civil suits and against the ISPs for cutting them off without proof um, over allegations and the you know, lawsuits that are going to um, result from from uh, 
you know, a bad implementation. So in, so in, in theory... That's why it, they, want to de- they want to delay the law coming into practice, is because they have not been able to come up with a way that they are happy <laughs> and that the uh, RIANs and APRA are happy um, that it's going to be implemented and follow through. <clears throat> so if I was cut off from my ISP incorrectly... Um, uh, they they sent me an email perhaps that says uh, we've received a number of complaints from Universal Music Group that you've downloaded tra- cop- you know tracks that are you know copyright yep. to them and say that wasn't you can, say that, it, you can take a you can take a civil suit against the the ISP. But how how would I prove I, how how would you prove you didn't though? That's going to be the hard part. Can you prove you haven't downloaded something? I mean, well, yeah. that's the good thing. The courts are still innocent until proven guilty. So in a court, the onus is on them to prove that you did. Oh, I see. So if if they can't, the court will say to the ISP, reinstate the, the internet access. Exactly. Maybe it's not so bad, although you still have to go through the, through the hoops. You still and- have to go through the court, and it's a lot. Can you imagine if this went badly? Um how many court cases would come up against ISPs? Well, you might have to start a brand- ISPs would have to would be paying out restitution for you know incorrect um, disconnections and court case <laughs> court costs for um, failing a case. It would be that'd be huge. It would be huge. You, you- so they've got to come up with a proper way of doing it and a way of. Yeah, implementing it where there is no way that a person could falsely accuse somebody. Because otherwise you would get the point of your neighbor, do- your neighbor doesn't like you. Your neighbor rings up your ISP because they saw the, who IS- what ISP was in your, le- you know, your mail from your mailbox. They ring up your ISP and say that they are a copyright holder and that you've been downloading their copyright material to get you disconnected. So they've got to come up with a way that prevents that sort of situation occurring. And they've got to come up with an implementation which allows them to actually come up with some sort of proof. Well, or will they? Or will they just rely on the threat that you could be done for making false accusations? Making a false complaint. But with the fact of no proof, how can you be done? Oh, well, that's How can true. it be done for a false accusation if you can't prove otherwise? Well, that's true. There's got to be mm. proof somewhere. And if it gets to a court of law, then the burden of proof is what rules out. So if an allegation is based on something where there is no proof, then it's thrown out. So if you were the lawmaker, what would you do? Th- throw out 92A? Revisit it? I would, I would dismiss 92A with a hearty laugh. (laughs) (laughs) I would then (laughs) gather the committee who came up with that useless, badly worded section, and I would say, what kindergarten have you just come from? Go back there. Let's get some people with a brain to come in here, do some proper consultation with the community that this affects. Not just with the APRA and RINZ, with the actual community at large, 
that this affects the artists, the songwriters, the New Zealand industry, and the New Zealand consumers and the New Zealand ISPs and go, what can we come up with which will actually do what we're trying to do and should we be doing something? Well, let's hope something like that does happen. We've There are a number of critics of, of that law. The uh, Apparently librarians have come out in chorus of opposition to that as well. Oh, so, indeed, because of the incredibly broad... <laughs> the incredibly broad definition of ISP. Did you know that you, under the definition of Section 92A, are considered an ISP? Am I? Because you have a website. Is that right? Is that what the definition yep. is? That is how general it oh, is. Oh, goodness. So we're, we're, almost, we're almost all ISPs. Uh, ISP. <laughs> I can call you an ISP. <laughs> I'm sorry, Brett. I didn't hear that. I have to cut you off now. <laughs> <laughs> it's... Oh, it's it's ridiculous. It's um, it was very very badly thought out. Is this left over from Labour or is this a national government? Um, I don't know. I don't know. For it to have been around, I would say it's probably a leftover from Labour. Something that, something they didn't quite have enough time to sort of close off properly. <laughs> it really does sound that way. Or maybe, or, or maybe somebody was paid. <laughs> Not to point any fingers of any sort of government corruption but <laughs> you know going back to the conspiracy theories it is widely believed that the um, American recording industry and movie in- industry use their money to get their laws mm. yeah those those donations aren't supposed to mean anything but I'm sure the parties received them know exactly who they're from and why they're giving the money Yep. So words don't need to be exchanged. Indeed, indeed. Mm. It's oh, it's just silly. It's a silly section, and it needs to be rethought. All right. Definitely. Well, the good news is that this podcast is uh, well, it's copyright to us, but we're distributing it freely anyway. So if you're listening, if you've downloaded this off P2P, don't worry, we're not going to put a complaint in, unless <laughs> unless we don't like you for some reason. <laughs> indeed, we definitely won't. <laughs> All right, Brett. I'll uh, I'll leave you getting uh, to get get back to wowing. How are you getting on there? Um. Well, I did idle off, so I have just logged back on. <laughs> All right, you're keen. You're going to go into the wee small hours. I can see. <laughs> uh, no, no. This was just to grind out some boring stuff. Um, while I was on my computer, <laughs> waiting for me to and turn up on Skype. <laughs> now I'm going to go back to something equally as geeky and watch some Battlestar Galactica with my flatmates. Oh goodness, fair enough. I'll leave you to it. I'm, I think I'm going to go edit, edit this uh, this podcast and uh, get this first episode out. Hey, look, that pretty much wraps up our very first episode of the Boys of Tech. Hey, Brett, thanks for for joining us. And, Not uh, a problem. We'll do it again uh, next week. Indeed, and I'm sure next week will be better. <laughs> had more practice. <laughs> what are you What are you saying? It can only get better. <laughs> well, everything can only get better. Well, that's 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 the way to look at things. Well, that's the hope, anyway. <laughs> that's the hope. Thank you, Brett. Thank you very much. All right, that pretty much is it for the first episode of the Boys of Tech. Hey, thanks for listening, and we'll see you all again next week. Take care. <laughs> <laughs>